0: This is Problem Solved, the IISE
1: podcast, where we talk to industrial and systems engineers about their work, ideas, and solutions. Another edition of Problem Solved. This is Michael Hughes with Joanna Ficatier of the Mayo Clinic. Joanna, how are you doing this morning?
0: I'm doing great. Thank you.
1: Well, welcome to Problem Solve. It says here that you're a senior health systems engineer for the Revenue Innovation and Value Creation Unit, Management Engineering and Internal Consulting Mayo Clinic, Rochester, Minnesota. And I'm breathless after talking about all that. What does that mean in the real world? That big long title.
0: Okay, so management engineering and internal consulting in my de- is my department. Okay, we are basically a group who provides internal consulting services to whoever wants some engineering project management work in Mayo Clinic. So it can be some of the practice area or even some of the administrative area. Really, anyone who needs help can request our services. And my title, Health System Engineer is really... What it means is I'm applying engineering techniques, especially industrial engineering, into the health systems.
1: So what's a typical day in the life of a senior health systems engineer at Mayo? When you come in, what do you do?
0: So being an internal consulting group, we usually work on several projects at a time. So my day is really I have meetings and then I have some of the work I need to do outside of the meetings and managing somewhere between three and five projects at a time. So really organizing my day, depending on the priority, what task needs to be done first and knowing that I'm going to spend some time in meetings, I'm going to have some times to focus more on analysis. So that's really a good mix between meetings with the team, analysis on my own and trying to manage all those different projects at the same time.
1: So how did you get to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota? You originally hailed from Brittany in France, if I remember correctly. Were you just chasing, chasing more snow, ice and cold?
0: (laughs) It's actually a, a long story. So as you mentioned, I'm from Britain in France. And when I grew up, I wanted to be an engineer because I, despite being a girl, I really liked building things and creating machines and stuff. So I actually started my career as a mechanical engineer. And in parallel, I was also super interested in the Japanese culture, more like the Old Japanese culture, the mm-hmm. samurai, and I was practicing judo at the time. So I really wanted to move to Japan, which is what I did after getting my bachelor in France. And I studied as a mechanical design engineer, so basically building machines. Okay. And as any production company, we also had some project to improve the quality of our product and to improve the efficiency in in the production lines. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got really interested in that other side of the engineering, no, not just making things, but making things better. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I really loved mechanical engineering, but industrial engineering was even more exciting. And that's where I wanted to move.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So... After a few years working in Japan and doing more and more of the process improvement project, it was really time for me to get a formal degree on that knowledge that I had acquired. And I looked, you know, I could go anywhere in the world pretty much, but it really seemed to me that the U.S. was where I could get the best education in industrial engineering. And I knew North Carolina because the company I was working for in Japan also had a factory in North Carolina. Okay. So I just decided to go to the University of North Carolina at Charlotte Mm -hmm. and do my master's in engineering management, which is basically industrial engineering. Right. And that's when I started to join IISC. I started to present at conferences, the work we were doing at school for my research, etc. And it is actually at one... Of the IISC conference, the um, I want to say 2015 ELSS, so Engineering and Linsex Sigma Conference, where I was presenting my research project at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte, that I met my current boss, Tony Chihak from the Mayo Clinic, was also at the conference presenting about I think that was more about data integrity at Mayo Clinic. And we met, we chatted, we, he was interested in my project, I was very interested in his presentation, and he also happened to be hiring at the Mayo Clinic. So pretty much that's how I got to Minnesota Mayo Clinic in the position I currently have.
1: So the snow and ice wasn't an attraction, it's just kind of there.
0: I didn't even know it was that cold.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You said found out, haven't you? Yeah. Well, well, what drew you to the the healthcare side of industrial engineering? Because you said you you were building things as a mechanical engineer and then you started uh, working in, uh, I guess, process improvement and making the things that you were building and designing better uh why healthcare? why not you know supply chain or ergonomics or are going you know continuing in manufacturing or one of the other more traditional, as they say, lines of industrial engineering?
0: there's two answers to that. So the first one is my parents work in healthcare. My dad was a doctor, my mom was more on the administrative side, so I grew up hearing my parents talking at the dinner table about all the problems they were having in healthcare. So as I was moving into the industrial engineering, process engineering, and helping people improve their processes, I knew that in healthcare, there was a huge need for people like us, engineers, to help solve problems. Mm -hmm. And also me personally, I realized that manufacturing, it's a lot of the for-profit side. Mm -hmm. In healthcare, I mean I went to I didn't just go to healthcare I went to the Mayo Clinic which is a non-profit organization mm-hmm. who is really focusing on doing what's best for the patient and for the community and for healthcare in general so that's really what attracted me to Mayo Clinic mm-hmm. is the idea that we're not just working to pay the bills we're really working for a bigger goal to really help the patient and the healthcare community
1: So the altruistic side of of doing something for patients, doing something for clinicians, you know, doing something that somebody enters the Mayo Clinic and they're sick, they've got an illness, they've got a disease, and you're doing something that helps them when they leave the Mayo Clinic, you know, they don't have to go back to the hospital.
0: Yes, exactly. That's really what drew me to Healthcare Mayo Clinic and why I'm enjoying my job so much every day. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't see me doing anything differently.
1: (laughs) Well, that's great. Do you have a favorite moment in healthcare, a favorite intervention, a, a project that you've worked on in the past few years that, you know, a clinician has come to you or you've seen differences in a patient's life or a group of patients' lives that's that's just that have just made you smile?
0: I think my favorite project to date is one that I didn't feel like I was doing something very hard for me, mm-hmm. but really helped the physician. So We are always looking at some key quality measure in the hospital, and one of them is readmissions. That's actually a project I presented at one of the ELSS conference. But we basically don't want the patient to come back to the hospital within 30 days. It's usually a sign of bad quality of care if there is a complication or something we didn't do right. So we do track the 30-day readmissions. But when I started on that area about four years ago, what really struck me is that a lot of the physicians did not have access to actionable data to see what their readmission rates were and also more details mm-hmm. about who were those patients who got readmitted. Mm-hmm. And so working with some of the quality people to gather that data and moving it into a dashboard that anyone at Mayo Clinic today can access and see their own readmission data was something that was kind of very easy and obvious for me to do, but made a huge difference in some of the physician's day-to-day activity where they can just go in one or two clicks see their readmission data.
1: Because if they don't see the data, they have no idea necessarily why these people are being readmitted or what's happening to them or uh, there's no way they can figure out where the system is failing so they can't fix the system.
0: Absolutely. Everything really starts with data.
1: So you've worked in France, Japan and the US. What are some of the differences between the, the working and the personal cultures and What's, I guess, pick your favorite thing about Japan and your favorite thing about the U.S.?
0: I think Japan, and it's also difficult to compare because I was working in two small, really family level companies, Mm -hmm. but we were really a family. And so Mm -hmm. you work at the company, but you also go dinner with your colleagues and you go play softball with the team uh, on the weekends. So it was really that cohesion, that that group spirit that we had that was great. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I do enjoy today to have my private life. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the work-life balance is good as well. I could choose to go out with some of my colleagues if I want to, but it's not as necessary and expected as it is in the Japanese culture.
1: So there's more of a separation of work and life in the U.S., which which can be good and can be bad, depending upon, you know, where you are and, and the people that you work with.
0: Yes, I think if you want more interaction with your colleagues, you could but you do have the option to make it as much as you want, which is really what I like. Being, I'm personally a very introvert, so I really value my private personal time outside of work which is not something I I had the choice to do in Japan.
1: So you've been presenting at the Engineering Lean and Six Sigma conference for several years now, and you always come back, always see you in the photos and everything. Why do you come back to that conference every year?
0: Really, the number one benefit of that conference, I would say, is the networking. Obviously, five years ago, through that networking, that's how I got where I am today with Mm -hmm. this job at the Mayo Clinic. But, you know, I can bring a project I'm working on. I can ask some of the other attendees for their feedback, for some of advices they may have, and continue to network and see what people are doing in other companies, in other hospitals, in other industries as well. And I made some very great friends. You know, we have the same way of thinking. We're all industrial engineers for for mm-hmm. the most part. So that's really great for me to spend a few days with people who think like me, have great ideas in... Yeah, the the networking part is really what I love about those conferences.
1: How did you find out about IISC? You said it was in college. Do they have a a student chapter there at UNC Charlotte?
0: I don't remember of a student chapter, but my academic advisor was Ertuga Ozelkan, who is a very active professor in the industrial engineering world, but especially at IISC. I think at the time he was the president of the Lean Division. Okay. So he's really the one who introduced me to that world of IISE and conferences.
1: And you've been heavily involved in the Lean Division, which they've rebranded the Operational Excellence Division as well. So why do all of this involvement, this extra work, the volunteering? Because we don't pay you cash money for this. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Really it does not feel like work. It's it's a pleasure to spend time with people who think like me, to exchange ideas, to continue to develop this industrial engineering which is really what I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. So I do not see that as extra work actually.
1: So this is almost your playtime away from work as well. Exactly. So what do you say to somebody who is is an in industrial systems engineer working in healthcare or ergonomics or any other other disciplines that industrial and systems engineers work in who they're not a member of ISE or they've never been to a conference. You know, what could you say to them that would entice them to get involved and what could it mean to their day to day life and how could it actually improve their working life?
0: I would say that there's a lot we don't know and we don't know what we don't know. So we need to get outside of our own department division, get outside of our own company and see what other people are doing outside so that we can compare how we're doing, get some new ideas in get some new perspective on things. That's really by networking and sharing with other professionals that you, you can really evolve. Uh, that's how I see it.
1: What would be your favorite takeaway that you've had, either from somebody you've networked with at the DLSS or through IASC? Uh, your favorite moment at one of the previous conferences?
0: That's a very good question. It, it would be very difficult to pick one because, I mean, I, I received so many feedback, comments, advice from people that are really valuable to my work. Mm-hmm. But I would say going to those conferences, you know, we have, we go dinner together. We have the town hall meeting, which is a lot of fun. We mm-hmm. always have some small friendly competitions. It's really, I would remember see for learning while having fun.
1: That's pretty good because education to a lot of people seems like a chore. And if you can make it fun, it's not such a chore. Mm -hmm. So you say in your daily life there at the Mayo Clinic, you're managing and running anywhere from three to five projects at a time. Is there a couple of projects that you're working on right now that you could tell us about what you're doing?
0: Absolutely. So right now I have three kind of big projects, which is why I only have three. (laughs) One of them, so, you know, Mayo Clinic, I'm based in Rochester, but but we also have Arizona, Florida, and also a lot of smaller sites in Minnesota, Wisconsin mm-hmm. that are called the Mayo Clinic Health Systems. And we need to work on convergence of practices, supply chains. And one specific project I'm working on is convergence of some of the quality measure data management systems. Mm-hmm. And specifically for the hand hygiene, so we do measure hand hygiene all the time, and we need to report that data to the Joint Commission. And that data used to be in different database at each site. So we are working on converging the data into one database and one reporting system. And by doing that, we're also standardizing the practices and the frequency of observation, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Then I have two big projects working with medical oncology. So one is in Rochester. The other one is more in the community. But we're looking at a redesign of the care team model. So we introduced the care team model five years ago. And in a spirit of continuous improvement, we want to relook at the model and see what we can do even better today.
1: And your third project?
0: The, that would be the same care, care team redesign in the community health.
1: Oh, so that's two projects in one kind of.
0: Yes. It's very similar, but at the same time, very different. Mayo Clinic Rochester is a big destination medical center. So we have people from all over the country and even the world coming to get sometimes a second opinion on their cancer diagnosis or treatment. As opposed to community health is really people who live in the community who are coming here for treatment and monitoring of their cancer symptoms.
1: Are you far enough along in those two projects to figure out any differences that you think you're going to recommend or that your team is going to recommend for changes to the care team model? For somebody outside of healthcare, what is the care team model right now and what could it move to?
0: So I can go back to primary care because that's probably what most of us understand. Mm-hmm. Primary care, we used to have one doctor. Your primary doctor is Dr. Smith. And every time you had something, even if it's a source throat, you would go see Dr. Smith. Now, we realize that that model is not the most efficient. There are some things that don't always require a doctor. So the introduction of a care team model was to usually pair a physician with a physician assistant and a nurse as a team. So now uh, for primary care, you have one primary care team and depending on the severity of what you have and want to be seen for, you might see someone different from the team. So now if I go to my primary care team, if I just have a sore throat, I'm pretty much sure I'm going to see the nurse of the team. But if I go for something that's really complicated, that's when I'm going to see the doctor. And overall, it really helps to improve access because I don't have to wait for Dr. Smith and I'm just seeing the nurse, I can get seen much faster. And it also reduces the cost because I can just have a nurse visit instead of a physician visit for something that is very a basic need.
1: That's interesting because in my experience, I don't think any of my primary care physicians have really ever used a care team model, except for one. Every time I've gone, I always see the nurse that, you know, takes your blood pressure and all that kind of stuff. And then I wait around for the doctor to come. Mm -hmm. I think I had one doctor for maybe four or five years when I was living in Gainesville, Georgia, where I actually saw a physician's assistant. I don't think my primary care physician even has a physician's assistant.
0: Yeah. I mean, it requires kind of a a structure where we have enough staff to be able to staff to scare teams. So that's not applied yet all across the country, but that's mm-hmm. really the trend, what, what we're moving towards.
1: What other changes in the care team model do you foresee, or is it just too young in the project to know?
0: Overall, the idea is to look at the roles and responsibilities. So again, taking my example of a source road, I'm going to go see the nurse. Not all of those potential problems that people would present to the hospital for are very well uh, documented. And we don't have yet a strong definition of if A do B, if C do D, we need to take a more like process approach to help the team in decision making and when to do what.
1: Sort of decision making models and standard work and that kind of thing.
0: yes. Yes. And the other thing, so in the cancer center, so when, for patients with cancer, there, we're also looking at introducing new roles in the team. So, for example, social work. Patient with cancer usually tend to be more distressed than me going to see the doctor for my sore throat. So trying to include a social worker in the team to provide more than just the cancer care, but, Everything else that a patient coming to Mayo with cancer may need. So we're also looking at all the care coordination that needs to happen. So, for example, for us, we have a lot of patients that come to Mayo, but do not necessarily get the treatment at Mayo because they live so far away. So we need some role. Someone in the care team needs to be there to help with the coordination of care between the local team, the Mayo team. And that's not something that we want to ask the doctors to do. So introducing new roles that would be kind of in between and help make the whole process more efficient and easier for patients is probably what's gonna be the outcome of this project.
1: That sounds pretty interesting. Look forward to seeing you present some of those results uh, at one of the future conferences that we have.
0: Absolutely.
1: You know, I've noticed this, uh, we do four conferences here at IISC. Every time I look through a program, There is always somebody from the Mayo Clinic, whether it's our health systems conference, our ergonomics conference, our annual conference, or the one that you go to, the engineering lenient Six Sigma conference. Why are Mayo people so gung ho about going and presenting and showing their work at these conferences?
0: I think we have at Mayo, there is a long history of engineering. So we have at the time of when the Dr. Mayo themselves were practicing In their team of physicians, very close to them was Dr. Plummer, who was an engineer, but also a doctor. Mm -hmm. So he was kind of trained in both and he was really passionate in both areas. And he helped develop some engineering processes here at Mayo, you know, 150 years ago, basically. Wow. Like some of the medical record, he was one of the first to be like, hey, we need to document patient information, store that information in a standard way so that we could go back and access that information if we need to. So again, 150 years ago, that was a pretty innovative idea. And he did all the things like... Setting up some system to move all those records, which was just paper at the time through the hospital, because we have different buildings and different in different areas of Rochester. And that just stayed that at Mayo Clinic, we always have a strong engineering team that partners with the physician to provide the best and most efficient care for the patient. And my group. We just celebrated, I think two years ago, we celebrated the 70th anniversary.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: So Mayo had consulting group of industrial engineers for more than 70 years. And there's quite a few of us.
1: Yeah, definitely, because you all appear at our conferences a lot. It sounds like... Yeah, usually, when we talk about industrial engineering and healthcare, we talk about it being a new thing that 's just started happening in the last few decades. There are a lot of hospitals that they don 't have a process improvement group, a lot of medical centers, and certainly a lot of you know regional networks and smaller primary care practices that have probably never even heard of health systems engineering. I personally think my allergist has never heard of health systems engineering as much as I wait at his office. Um, Mm -hmm. But 70 years, that's seven decades worth of engineering at the Mayo Clinic. That's really something to celebrate.
0: It is, yeah. And to me, it's very exciting to be in a team that, you know, I'm, I'm still bringing value, but people at Mayo are just so used of seeing people from engineering coming to their area and improving things, it's its not new to them. So how do
1: we in the health systems engineering community get buy-in from the non-Mayo clinics of the world? Because there are a lot of practices out there that could use the tips and tricks and tools of the trade of health systems engineering. You know, what do we say to them? How do we how do we get them on board with the value that y'all can bring to patients and clinicians?
0: That's a very good question. But I think really the need for industrial engineering is becoming more and more important, especially in the u s because we're having a real problem in healthcare with cost and mm-hmm. we we have proven in other industries, especially manufacturing, that using process engineering industrial engineering methodologies can really help reduce cost so I think For some hospital who don't have industrial engineering yet, that would be really the appeal, I think, is we can help you reduce your cost and be more efficient, also improve the safety. I mean, we, we can really use what industrial engineering has done to manufacturing as a proof that what we do works and it's really time now to apply this to healthcare more widely.
1: Yeah, well I would agree. I look at some of the presentations for Engineering Lean and Six Sigma and our health systems process improvement conference that's coming up in February in Savannah. And, and there are a lot of, you know, good results on time starts of like radiology or CAT scans go from 44% to 80%. And these are pretty big numbers. Uh mm-hmm. and anybody who has sat there and waited in any kind of physician's office for a half hour or an hour or an hour and a half knows what it means when just your appointment can start on time mm-hmm. and how much value that brings to the patient.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So what do you miss about Brittany and France now that you're so far away and you spent most, a lot of your professional life in Japan and in the United States?
0: The weather. I mean, in Brittany, I'm on the west side of Europe, so on the Atlantic Ocean Mm -hmm. and the impact of the Gulf Stream made that Brittany especially is a very, very moderate area. So Mm -hmm. I didn't get too hot in the summer and didn't get cold at all in the winter. So the weather is kind of perfect. And then obviously there's the food. I mean, Ah. French food is still today my favorite.
1: Can you find any good French food in Rochester, Minnesota? Are you thinking of starting a restaurant?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Too bad. I love my job so much. But no, you do find food around here. It's just more expensive. So I don't treat me with cheese all the time. It's Mm -hmm. it's more like on occasions. Right. Yeah. And I mean, in French, food is also... It's more than just what we eat is taking time to sit at a meal, have, Mm -hmm. you know, five course dinner. And that takes about two hours because we're just talking about everything. Mm -hmm. And we still do that in the US, but it's just... It's it's just not the same.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I don't have any experience in Brittany. I did spend a week in Paris a couple of years ago and I love that city. But I'm sure I'd love Brittany if I ever got a chance to go there as well.
0: Yeah. Brittany is more on the countryside. So everything is smaller. Everything is more basic. Even Mm -hmm. like the food we have, it's more based on wheat and potatoes. And but it's still, yeah, that French atmosphere that is very unique.
1: I've heard Brittany is famous for oysters. Is that true?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We have some of the best seafood.
1: See, I would love to go to Brittany and go to an oyster farm because my dad and I, well, we ate a lot of oysters when he was alive, and I still love them. They're kind of like my home food.
0: So, from what I remember, the oyster in Brittany are like the small ones Mm -hmm. that are very strong in taste. They're Mm. not going to be the big, soft, you know, um, I don't know how to describe it. They're more going to be small. Mm-hmm. But was that a very strong iron taste or oyster taste?
1: Well, hopefully one day I'll get there and try them for myself.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: What do you see in your future for uh, Joanna, health systems engineer extraordinaire?
0: <laughs> well, Mayo Clinique is a huge organization and there are a lot of departments who are also working on getting their own health system engineers, building their own quality program. Mm-hmm. So I do see myself moving within Mayo. I do love Rochester. I love the Mayo Clinic and I don't see myself moving away from that anytime soon. hmm However, moving within the Mayo Clinic is very probably in, in, in my future.
1: Well, Joanna, thank you first off for your membership, for your participation in conferences and for your support of IISC. I hope we've been able to be of value to you and you know, continue being of value to you. And we have a relationship for a very long time. Thank you very much. And try to stay warm up there in Rochester.
0: <laughs> I will try. Thank you.
1: This has been an episode of Problem Solved, the IISE podcast. If you like what you've heard, then please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. If you're an IISE member, you can participate in discussions about this and other episodes at connect.iise.org. If you're not a member yet, then you can learn all about the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers at our website, iise.org. Thanks for listening to our show.